Let me just say that uh, this, is, this is really a neat thing to see. It's a dream in, in the making come true uh, for our marriage ministry. We've been, we've been doing some revamping, and, um, and it's just really awesome to see this is a launch of something, not just a new program, but something new entirely for us as a marriage ministry. So that, that really is awesome, and it's incredible that we have all these new faces in here, that we get to uh, be a part of your lives and we hope that this is not the end of our journey with you. We hope that this is just the beginning of, of our journey with you. And that this is not the only time that we get to um, engage you and your marriage. Okay? So, um, tonight I'm going to just present a, a few ideas to you. Hopefully this, is, this will get uh, some thoughts uh, going for you and your groups. And this is really to facilitate some discussion time. The, the most important people in this room are the ones that are sitting around your table who are going to be going through the process with you, right? So I'm just going to give you some ideas, but the things that you share together, those are the most important concepts that will come out of this because those will be the ones you take with you. Um, and I just want to say a special thank you to the mentor couples who have dedicated their time to being here. Um, that is such an awesome commitment for them to do that, and um, many of them have to make sacrifices to be here, so we're just thankful for them to be here. And then finally, I'm thankful that you have trusted us with the next eight weeks to walk this journey with you. Um, and we really want this to be a time where we set the expectation for marriage high, right? We don't want to set the bar low. We want to set it high because we want to aim high and we want a tra the trajectory of all of our marriages to be headed in a place that is God-designed, right? The world does not give us an opportunity to see a marriage that's God-designed. And we will spend all kinds of time, all kinds of energy creating uh, you know, wedding lists and uh, registering. I, I went registering with Melissa one time, and uh, it was the only time that she let me go because I registered for underwear and socks and a PlayStation, <laughs> and she had to go home and do all this work to take it off of the registry because she was embarrassed. I still think it was a good idea. Paper plates and plastic forks were on there as well, um, which with kids now I'd really like to have that stuff, right? Uh, but, but registering, we put tons of time into this, right? And, and we, we rarely spend as much time as we should doing these kinds of things that will set us up for a lifetime together, right? So I am so thankful that you're here. And I really hope and pray that our time together will be beneficial for you, okay? Because the lighting and the music and the format means nothing if you walk out of here with nothing, okay? So, welcome, and thank you for being here. I'm going to talk to you for a minute um, about a couple things. I, so, I've been married for uh, almost 15 years, um, and, you know, I would say that I have gone through uh, years and years of training uh, in counseling and worked with many couples but the, the best training that I've gotten is on the job, right? And the best learning 
that I've gotten, when I mean on the job, I mean on the job of marriage, not in you know, the room with, with clients, but, but I have made so many mistakes. So I'm not, I, I don't stand before you as somebody that's like, hey man, I've got the perfect marriage and you need to listen to all this wisdom that I have. No, this is just some stuff that I have seen work as I've implemented it in my own life. And then some material that also um, Andy Savage has, has shared with us as well. So, uh, so I want to take you on a journey tonight as we, we share this information. Early in my marriage, um, I, we, we got a dog. And um, this dog's name was Chloe. And it was this sweet, docile little puppy when we picked it up on the side of the road. Somebody had, you know, puppies just there free to a, a good home. And we stopped and we picked, them, picked her up and she laid on our center console for uh, the whole trip that we had over to Heber Springs from Texas. And she was this cute little, I don't know, mutt. I don't know exactly what she was. She was like a lab and a chow mix or something. And she laid her little head up on my shoulder, and, you know, I just, I just knew this was going to be the best dog we'd ever had. Well, come to find out, she had a belly full of worms, which makes a dog really lethargic. And when she got rid of them, she, was, she turned into a demon dog, like, like the worst dog that you could imagine. Chewed everything up. When we had kids just a few months later, she started growling at our first child, Nora, um, we kept her for far too long. I wanted to get rid of her, but Melissa wouldn't let me. Um, and if you're an animal lover, I promise I love animals. So just stick with me on this, okay? So she was a demon dog. And we, we, got, we had to rent this house. And we're staying in this beautiful home because our house had been destroyed by a tree. That's a whole other story. And we got this great deal from a guy that was really kind to us. And this stupid dog chewed up the door frame in this beautiful home the door frame alone was probably worth as much as like my car you know what I mean it's like like this beautiful home and I was so angry and and it was kind of the last straw for me so I was looking for a way to get rid of this dog okay so we end up uh we we end up like moving back into our house like a week after she chews up this door frame. And I, have a, I put her in the back of my truck, and I'm headed to the house, and somewhere along the way, this dog has jumped out of the back of the truck. And I get to my new house, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> no more Chloe, right? Okay, so then I have this, like, dilemma. Do I go back the way I came to see if I can find her, right? This is a confession time, guys, okay? <laughs> All right? I do have bad places in my heart, okay? Told you I'm not perfect. Do I go back the way I came, or do I go a different route? So I went back the way I came, and there she was, three cars ahead of me. The cars had all stopped, and I'm sitting there going, I should have gone the different way. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this person climbs out of the car, three cars ahead of me, puts Chloe in the back of the car, and drives off. 
And I'm like, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Enjoy your new family. I go home and Melissa, and I tell Melissa, Melissa, Chloe jumped out of the back of the truck and she's gone, which is true. That's a true statement, right? <laughs> I don't normally lie to my wife, even omitting the truth, but this was, you know, it was Chloe. I hated this dog. So Melissa is like, what? She's gone? We've got to find her. I'm like, she's okay. Believe me. She's going to be okay. Trust me. She's like, how do you know that? So she's like, okay, we'll go look for her. And I was like, I'll go look for her. Gladly, I'd go look for her, right? So I drive around the neighborhood looking for her. I come back, and uh, it starts to storm outside. And Melissa's in tears, and I'm thinking, I thought this was going to go a lot better than it has. And she starts making signs for the lost dog. And I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> don't make signs for the lost dog. She's like, why? And I'm like, because she's fine. I promise. I know she's fine. She's like, how do you know she's fine? Finally, I come clean. I saw her get put in the back of a car. And man, you would have thought that I had just... Like, if you think about, like, on a continuum of, like, I told this little white lie, like I ate something that you had put in the refrigerator versus, like, you know, I... I don't know, I bought $10,000 worth of clothes and you didn't know about it? Like, I thought we'd be much further down on this side, but she reacted much more on this side, like I had really betrayed her, right? And it was like this thing early on where in my mind I was like, well, you know, I kind of solved a problem that we had by letting a dog go to what I pictured as a nice, wonderful little family cute little girl with a bow in her hair that wanted a sweet little cuddly dog that she finally got, right? And Melissa's picturing the dog out in the rain, you know, wandering around trying to figure out where she is. And so my attempt to solve an issue in our relationship caused a much bigger problem than I could have ever expected. And that came from a place of selfishness in me, right? Like, so let's face it. I was tired of dealing with this dog. I was tired of having to manage all of the chaos it was causing in our lives. And yet, it, that selfishness took me into a place of omitting the truth with Melissa. And that caused some problems for us. So tonight, I, I want to talk about the, how toxic selfishness can be. Because that was, even though it's a little bit of a humor story, it was actually a pretty big deal in my, my relationship. And you will face those situations in your relationships as well if you haven't already. Okay? Things that we think are a resolution to the problem are actually something that sometimes are driven by our own selfishness. And it creates pain and hurt in our relationships. Right? Okay. So, I want to talk to you a little bit about what is our goal. Our goal in marriage is to reach a place of intimacy. And intimacy is defined as knowing and being known. It's very simple. Knowing and being known. So let me show you this. In Genesis 2, what do we see? We see Adam and Eve in the garden, and they are naked and unashamed. 
Okay, so I work on a campus with scholars in theology. I am not one, but they tell me what this means is it's, a, it's, it's Scripture's way of saying that they are innocent. Okay? That there is nothing that divides Adam from Eve. There's no shame. There's no discomfort. There's no reason for them to even think about the fact that they're naked in front of each other. Right? They don't recognize where one person stops and the other person begins. They are together as a unit. So this is God's design for what? For marriage, right? But we have a problem. What's the problem? The problem is that in Genesis 3, the very next chapter, what happens? Eve and Adam sin. Now, I want you to to kind of think about the story. Adam and Eve sin by doing something very specific. They they try to take what is only God's to give them. Okay? Let me say that again. They try to reach out by taking the fruit, what is only God's to give, which is the knowledge of good and evil, which is even the knowledge and understanding of one another and the knowledge and understanding of Him. Okay? God was to disseminate that to them. Now they've taken it for themselves. And they have separated themselves from Him and one another. In Genesis 3, where do we find them? They're clothed and they're hiding. Clothed and hiding. Really, when you boil it down, clothed is another way of saying hiding. Now, there is separation. If this is God, and this is Adam, and this is Eve, now there's separation here and there, whereas it existed as a continuum between all three before. The clothes represent now I am separated from you. There is a wall between me and you. And there's a wall between me and God. So the goal, our goal for all of this is to work back from Genesis 3 to Genesis 2. The state with which we are no longer hiding from one another and we are no longer hiding from God. Now, will we, will we experience that in its completeness in this life? No. But I can promise you this. The closer we get to it, the more we will be fulfilled in our marriages. The further away we get, the more hiding we have from one another and from God the less joy we will be able to experience, the more suffering we will experience with one another. Okay? Everybody tracking with me? All right, good. So, this idea of moving back from Genesis 2 to Genesis, or Genesis 3 to Genesis 2 is a process. It's a process of, like I mentioned earlier, of knowing 
and being known. How am I doing on time? Good? Okay. Um, okay, so I want you to think about, it's like, okay, well, how do, how do we know and be known? What does this mean? Okay, so, so there, are, there are different parts of ourselves that we present to one another. And we go through stages of becoming closer and closer, right? I'm going to walk you through what those stages are here in a minute. But I want to set that up by telling you, by explaining to you what I, think, what I believe intimacy looks like within a marriage context, okay? So knowing and being known is this. If you think about the layers of a person, there's more than three, but for the purpose of tonight and time, we're going to use three, okay? So if you think about this outer layer, this is, this is how you show up in the world. This is what people see when they first meet you, right? So this would be like maybe what we would call personality and, and behavior. This is people's first experience of you. This is the best foot forward. Sometimes it's genuine, but sometimes it's an act, right? It's not necessarily who you are. It's just who you are when you're in the midst of people that you may not have that close of a connection with, okay? Now, the way you show up here is what intrigues people as to whether they want to go to a deeper level with you, right? I like what I see, so I'm going to, you know, maybe I want to take a look right here. What's deeper? So you spend more time together. This is when you start to drill down deeper into opinions and beliefs. All right, so everybody's new in here. Let's do an experiment. Raise your hand if you voted for Donald Trump at the last election. Just kidding. Don't do it. Just kidding. (laughs) We could have a, a real fun time in here if we spent some, some time having that discussion, right? Very divisive topic, politics are. Okay? We think, these days, I believe, we think that somebody knowing our opinion about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton is on a level of maybe being known at a deeper level. And it, it is being known at a deeper level. But... It isn't really at our core. This is not vulnerability. Who you voted for at the last election is, does not equal, to you saying that does not equal you being vulnerable with the people around you. It's just you making a statement about what you believe about the world. And, it, and, and you could go deeper into, you know, what do you believe about abortion? What do you believe? Or, or some people even talk, might spend their time talking about sports on this level. You know, I'm a fan. I'm an Alabama fan. I'm not an Alabama fan. Let me repeat. I am not an Alabama fan. Okay. Um, Bill is an Alabama fan. I actually like Auburn. I don't know if you knew that, Bill. (laughs) Sorry. See, that's another one I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said that. Automatically, people are going to be like, oh, man, I'm not listening to him anymore. Um, There are things that we want to stay neutral on, though, because they can create conflict. But here's the point I want to make. Vulnerability doesn't create conflict. 
vulnerability creates more vulnerability, right? And if it's ever used against somebody, then that person is usually deemed as a not safe person in our lives, okay? So let's get to that. So we go one more step, and I would say this is our core. These are our deepest desires, dreams, fears, and wounds. Can you all see that? Everybody see that? Okay, so our deepest desires, dreams, fears, and wounds. All right, let's try another experiment. I want somebody to stand up and tell me what is your biggest hurt of all time? No takers? You sure? Why not? Why would we not be willing to share that right now? One, maybe it's not an appropriate context for that, right? We have an awareness of when it's appropriate to share that and when it's not. Two, it's, it's a little unnerving to think about just sharing your deepest wound with a room full of people. Even people that share things that have hurt them, maybe even traumatic events, they write it in a book or they stand up in front of an audience and they speak about it. Even those folks have practiced that, right? There's distance between them and what they're talking about because it, there's been some rehearsal to it. You start asking them questions about it and how it's really affected their heart. When the tears come, that's vulnerability. That's when it's difficult to share, right? Okay. These are what, what are at the core of who we are. These are the things that kind of drive us out this way. Our wounds, our fears, those can control how we show up in the world, can't they? They They can cause us to want to protect ourselves with the people around us. Our desires and dreams can do the same thing. Think about sharing your greatest desire with somebody. You put it out there, something that makes your heart just just jump because it's so exciting to you. That person that you're sharing it with, they have an opportunity to shoot it down. They have an opportunity to say, that's a dumb idea. That's a dumb thing to pursue. In turn, what does that do? It could create another wound for us. So we intuitively know to protect ourselves from this. Okay. So this is what I believe intimacy is. A core-to-core relationship with your significant other. One that goes all the way through and into this. When you get here, this is when you know someone and you're known by someone. Some people say, how many core-to-core relationships should I have in my life? And I say very few, but your spouse should be one of them. Most people don't know how to have this. It's really hard because it requires us to peel back the layers of who we are and offer that to somebody else and give them an opportunity to reject us. Because here's our greatest fear. Our greatest fear is the answer to this question, I believe.
if you really knew me, would you love me? I think this is our greatest fear, but it's also the thing that we need most to know whether it's true. And the more we spend time here in a cortical relationship, the closer we get to this being answered as a yes with our spouse. And we need this. This is like, this is like water in the desert for us. It combats all the pain, all the hurt, and all the fear, all the things that we've experienced in life. And guess what? Guess who else we need to know whether this is true with or not? God. We have to answer this question with him. Because that takes away now. Y'all don't make fun of my artwork, okay? I'm a counselor, not an artist. That takes away these separations. It bridges the gap all the way around. And now this complete relationship brings us to a place where we can show up in the world fully and be okay with who we are in this place. It heals us. That's where healing comes from. All healing takes place in the context of relationship. And this relationship here is the primary place where that can happen. Okay? All right. I'm going to move on from this. I could talk about this all day. But Laura is keeping me on track with time, which I appreciate. I wish I was taller because the racing would be easier. I need to have somebody erase for me while I'm doing this. Anybody want to be a professional eraser? Okay, so now let's talk about relationships. We know what our goal is. We're moving towards intimacy. We've set the stage. We're, we're shooting high, right? Our expectations are high, okay? So, um, when you think about romance, we have to think about it in phases. The first thing we have to know is when we talk about relationships, we've already said it. In relationships, who's the problem? Me. I am the problem, okay? Everybody, raise your right hand. That's my left, sorry. Raise your right hand. And repeat after me. I am the problem. I am the problem. Okay, the more you can get that in your heart and in your mind, the better off you're going to be. And we're going to talk about why that's true. But selfishness is where we start. Why? We start in a Genesis 3 positioning in relationship. Remember, we're working back. We cannot enter into a relationship without being a selfish person. It's, it's like impossible. Because we meet, we come together for selfish reasons. We're attracted to each other. We think, oh, what they have to offer me is, is going to be better than me being alone, right? Like, selfishness is something that works out of us, right? It's not something we just start without, okay? That's why marriage is such a beautiful thing, because it helps us to heal and to refine that place in us, okay? So, so if I am the problem, then that's going to that's gonna set the bar for how we move through relationships. So over here, you got a man and a woman. And this right here 
is where they meet. We'll call this the mystery phase. Okay? And in the mystery phase, you're, you're asking this question. Will this person fulfill my dream? My dream is to be married and have kids, or maybe not. Maybe I don't want to have kids. I don't know. Yeah, if you want to look at the, there's a diagram on page 11 in your book that you can see this on. Will, will this person be a person to fulfill my dreams? There's intrigue, right? There's maybe some initial attraction or something that connects you to that person. And, and there's like this, this lingering question. So it's like, okay, well, I want to spend more time with this person to find out, is this someone that I might want to continue on with, right? So that moves you in to the pursuit phase. All right, so we're familiar with the pursuit phase. That's when you kind of just go all out, right? You're, you're thinking, okay, I'm attracted to this person. I want to spend time with them. And I am going to do what it takes to, to be around them more. It's a, I, I really want to spend more time with you. And um, it's when usually most relationships become exclusive. I'm not going to see anybody else because I want to focus my attention on you. Right, So I'm pursuing you. Sometimes we get to this point in a relationship and, and we've done a little pursuing and one or both people decide, eh, we don't really want to go any further, right? Okay? So, um, but things, things do become exclusive at this point, all right? So the next phase is the passion phase. This is the one that we love the most. Why? Because this is when we feel in love for the first time or the second time or whatever, but we feel in love. We're, we're chasing this person. We're running after the relationship and we're saying, okay, I want to be with you. When, when Melissa and I first got together, we um, had been dating about two months and I had known Melissa for a long time. And so I'd had my eye on her. I remember the first time I met her, but she doesn't remember the first time she met me. Imagine that. So um, anyways, I'd had my eye on her. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to spend more time with her. And we kept running into each other. And so I started, we started talking on the phone. And then we, were, we kissed right before she went home for the Christmas break. And um, it was real romantic. I took her out to this, like, you know, place and played Nord Jones for her, and we danced, and it was great. It was good. But that kiss was so good, I was like, man, I want to spend more time with her. I want to kiss her more. I want to I see her more. I want to talk to her more. So I get home, and I'm just, like, sitting there at my house in Houston, Texas, and she's up here in Memphis, and I'm like... Man, forget this. I'm going up there. So I just, I called her. And I was like, hey, I'm coming to Memphis. Is that okay? She was like, sure, come on. And, uh, and I, so, so I drive up to Memphis, and I spend like two weeks up here. And, you know, we're like staying up until 2 a.m. talking and, you know, just enjoying. Yeah, right, we're talking, enjoying <laughs> each other's company, you know, having court-to-court discussions, not really, but 
<laughs> but I mean, I dr that's like a 10 hour drive, right? And like, then I'm staying up to like 2 a.m. every night, you know, like, and I'm, I'm like waking up at 7 a.m. I mean, I have kids and I can't do that now. But back then I could, right? Because this passion was driving me. I've, I was in love, right? And I think that, that we all hit that. And that's something that really gets us going with our, within our relationships. But here's the thing. Passion, passion fuels selfishness because it's like, I want to spend time with you because of what I'm getting from this, because of how it's making me feel, because of how it's charging me up, because I am, I am enjoying this so much, right? You're reflecting that you like me, which makes me feel better. But passion dies. Passion fades. And when passion fades, couples hit crisis. Every relationship will hit crisis. Some crisis situations within relationships are, are more substantial than others, okay? Sometimes this is when, like, I don't feel it anymore. I don't really think you're the person I want to be with, so let's break up. Or people reach crisis and they're like, I don't know what to do. Do I go on? Do I stay here? What do I, you know, like, this is when a lot of the questions start. That doesn't mean that just because you enter into a crisis phase that you're going to end your relationship. Some people think that, it, that you should, but that doesn't mean that that's the case, okay? Here's what I would say. Everybody reaches a crisis phase in their relationship, and you will have more than one throughout your marriage. And honestly, they get harder and harder. Maybe not harder to deal with, but life throws curveballs at you. And the things that life brings sometimes are really tough to deal with. And sometimes you find yourself in that crisis phase saying, I'm not feeling in love anymore. I'm, I, I don't really like how you look in the mornings when you wake up. Your breath stinks. You, you know, you make me mad. You, you're, you, we've had the same fight for, for five months. I'm tired of being around you. Crisis phase a lot of times, is what causes couples to split, okay? And this is the really important part. The crisis phase is one of the most important phases because it causes us to ask the question, am I willing to sacrifice for this person to move to the next phase? And if I am, I might have to get somebody to come and write the top one for me. I told you to set the bar low. That was a short joke. Nobody got it. <laughs> we move into the commitment phase, which says, I am willing to sacrifice for you. I want to sacrifice for you. Now, does that mean that we get all the warm fuzzies back? No, not necessarily. I think it, it become, we, we, this is the point where we realize that love is a choice. Love is not a feeling. Feelings accompany our love, and they, but they come and go. This is where love becomes a choice to say, I want to know you, 
and I want you to know me, and I'm sticking in this relationship in order to make that happen. I am not going anywhere. It's what brings the safety and the security for the other person as well to say, we're going on. Now, that doesn't mean both people reach this level of commitment. But if both, peop- if both people do reach this level of commitment, that's when intimacy really starts to take off. Because you can't push through a crisis without vulnerability, without becoming known to the other person. That's when you start to let your guard down and commitment takes you into that place of letting the division melt away and saying, hey, I choose you. I want to be with you. Many of you have done this. That's why you're sitting in this room. Some of you may look at this and go, man, maybe we're not supposed to be together. I don't know how many couples are dating versus married already. But, but the purpose of a God-honoring marriage is to get to a place of sacrifice. This is where marriage becomes distinctly Christian. When it is a lay down your life for another person kind of commitment and relationship. That's when it becomes distinctly Christian. If we just keep circling around in this crisis phase, back around to the mystery phase and finding a new person, we never push through. We never learn to sacrifice. And then we get to this final phase, which is joy. Look, I was able to do it. Joy. We find joy in this phase because what we, we realize is that serving another is what actually brings true joy in our lives. How many of you guys, let me just demonstrate this. How many of you guys have been on a mission trip? Raise your hand. You ever been on a mission trip? Okay. When you got back, what, was, what do you think the first thing you said was? Was it, man, I really gave those people a lot. No. Without fail, anytime you hear somebody go on a, on a mission to serve, they come back and they say, man, they gave me more than I gave them. Right? Why is that? Because joy comes from giving to another. That's how we were created. When we hide and we protect and we section ourselves off, from everybody else and all the world, and then especially our spouse, we lose our joy. But when we step into the relationship and we say, here I am, I want to serve you, and both people are doing that with each other, what they're saying is not just, I want to do whatever you want me to do. It's not me saying, Melissa, I bow at your every command. That's not it. That's still someone in the marriage living out of that selfishness, right? That's still someone seeking that passion. It's we, what we say is, I am willing to do whatever it takes for the marriage. Now the marriage becomes my top priority. Now I want to see what's best for me and you, for this thing that exists between us, to be elevated in the presence of God, to be something that is demonstrated as a a relationship 
between two people that just shouldn't be possible. Have you known couples like that? Where it's like, man, they have something really special. That's what they've done. They've said, I lay down my life so that my marriage can be elevated in the presence of God. And I can fulfill my vows with those people, among all those people that I said, this is what I want. I'm setting the bar high and I'm shooting for a God-honoring marriage. And they've, they've headed that direction. And they've done it by peeling the layers back and knowing one another. That's the beauty of marriage. That's what, that's what takes us to a place of being in God's presence and being in the presence of each other and being fulfilled and finding joy and ultimately peace. I'm going to end there for tonight. Um, next week, we'll be back, I'll be back sharing some thoughts with you. Tonight, uh, we're going to have a discussion time. And what, the questions for your discussions are on the table. Um, so your, uh, your marriage mentor couples will lead you through that discussion. I would say that I know this is a lot of information to absorb right now. And if you're just kind of processing it, that's okay. Um, but really try to kind of dig in and see if you can get somewhere with it. And men, the mentor couples have been spending time in prayer about some of this time specifically, because this is when you get to the deeper stuff, okay? So thank you guys for listening. I hope it was beneficial, and uh, y'all take some time to share with each other those things, okay?